Yeah. So when I was a kid, Sundays were busy days. They weren't necessarily a day of rest. They were rest from the normal stuff, but they were busy. So I had 10 o'clock Sunday school, half 11 church, three o'clock crusaders. And from the age of seven, seven o'clock service. And then eight o'clock I went to youth if I got to be 12. So it was quite a sort of busy day. So from the age of seven, my parents in their wisdom decided that I could manage the evening service. So I, was, I went down every week with my dad, he's a minister, and I was handed to a lady called Betty McGill, um, who was the Sunday school superintendent. And whenever I tell it, people say, oh my goodness, that was terrible. It was absolutely brilliant. I got into Betty's car, it was the 70s, and she took a box of dairy milk or milk tray, a pound box, and emptied them into her bucket handbag. And through the course of the talk and the service, her and I ate our way through a pound box of chocolates. Um, it, I don't know that I learned a lot, but I certainly developed my issues with chocolate at the age of seven. So, but at that time in my life, I remember a Sunday school teacher. I don't remember her name, but I remember her face. And she talked to us about the importance of reading the whole Bible and knowing every story and every person. And she used that very powerful psychological strategy of shame. So she said to me, she said to us as we innocent 10-year-olds, she talked not only about present shame, but future shame, which is really disarming. And she said, imagine what you'll feel like if when you go to heaven and you walk into Nahum, and he says, what did you think of my book? And you'll go, <laughs> so that, that sort of informed me and this morning as I continue our series I'm talking about Habakkuk so Habakkuk might be one of those books so we're in a no blame no shame culture here so who hasn't read Habakkuk good man Campbell own it Kerry you've owned it okay the rest of you holy Joes have that's amazing okay <laughs> my work is done so Habakkuk, what I want to do this morning, he's one of the lesser known prophets. And he wrote a book, it's a prophecy, but it's different to every other prophecy. So Habakkuk was probably at the same time as Zephaniah and also Jeremiah. But what was different about this book is that this is a conversation between him and God. It's not God speaking to him as a prophet and him speaking to this people. This is the conversation. And I think there's a lot for us to learn in it. So it's a different sort of prophetic book and it's a beautiful book. And as someone who loves to work in conversation, I have found it a really significant book for me. I love it. And I suppose like anyone who's ever spoken on it, at any point in our history, we might well say, how pertinent the lament and the pain of Habakkuk is to these days. How pertinent. It starts out, I'm not going to take us through it because we'd be here, it's three chapters. But the first few verses I want to read to us. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. So here is Habakkuk. And if we think of 2022, 
the questions he's asking of the Lord. How long am I going to have to wait for you? Why is justice perverted? Why is what is right never done? Why am I surrounded by suffering in my own life or in this world? And why aren't you acting, God? Are you listening? Are you even listening? And that is how this book starts. And if we think of this today as the end of a week, thinking about refugees and asylum seekers, surely those questions are laden in our head. Where are you, Lord? Why are people drowning in the sea? Why are people being sent to Rwanda? What is going on? Where are you in this moment, Lord? We live in a world where there's a greater divide than ever before on rich and poor. Gender-based violence accounts for daily deaths. We should be lamenting with Habakkuk. And I believe that we are, and we should do more of it. And then if you look at the rest of chapter one, I'm not going to read much of it, but the, the next, God answers and he says, yes, I, I've got it sorted. I am going to use the Babylonians and I'm going to bring judgment on Israel. Now the Babylonians were evil and were harmful and judgment is coming and they were, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans as are mentioned in some versions, they will judge Israel. An evil nation will be used to judge a righteous nation. So Habakkuk thinks about that and he goes back with another complaint. I love Habakkuk's bravery. How often do we question the Lord and then go back and go, are you sure? Are you really sure? So he goes back and he says, are you not from everlasting, my holy one? You have ordained them to judge me. And so Habakkuk goes back bravely and boldly to the Lord. And then he sits and he says, at the beginning of chapter two, I will take my stand at my watch post and I will station myself on the tower and I will look out to see what you will say to me and what you answer regarding my complaint. And I wonder for some of us this morning, are we living in a period of personal lament? We could be living in a global period of lament, but are you living in a period of personal lament? Or you're questioning your current circumstances or how things are going. And perhaps if you were to put yourself in the story of Habakkuk, that's where you should be, retreating to your watchtower and waiting. There's something very beautiful about choosing to retreat and to wait. And so maybe this morning, if you are, in that, per if you are that person, go to your watchtower and wait to see what God will do because he always will answer. And so this is what Habakkuk decides to do. He retreats and he goes to the watch post, chapter two. And then the Lord answered me. And this is the part that is referenced in um, Hebrews when we're talking about people of faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. But what does he tell Habakkuk to do? Write your vision on the tablets. That's all he told him to do. He didn't tell him to go and save the world. He didn't tell him to go and do something amazing. He said, write your vision on the tablets and share it. And some commentators would say that the groups or the, the congregations or the gatherings that Habakkuk might have shared it with were about 10 to 15. It wasn't a big thing. God asked him to be faithful in the small 
and to do what was in front of him. And he said, go and write the vision on the tablet. And it was a very small plan. And then chapter two goes further into the five woes that Habakkuk raises about the Chaldeans, about this evil race. And he highlights unjust economic practices, the use of slave labor, irresponsible leaders, the abuse of alcohol, idolatry, national security, power and money put above all else. Now, if we thought of those five woes and we thought of this nation and this world that we are currently in, surely nothing new is under the sun. Surely we live under unjust economic practices, slave labor, women being sold for their bodies, trading from one end of the world to the other, irresponsible leaders, the abuse of alcohol, idolatry, money and power. Quite sobering, I think, if we read that of what Habakkuk was raising about then and what is happening now. And I would propose that that is what the story of God is all about. Creation, the fall, redemption and restoration. And the story of God through the whole of the Bible re reminds us that there is nothing new, that these are the patterns that have been and will be, and that God will restore all. And at the last, he, he raises his five woes back to the Lord. And then he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And we are going to take that, that beautiful truth and promise at the end and we're going to meditate on it and do some perhaps personal lamenting. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And then it moves into chapter three, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Some commentators will say Habakkuk may not actually have written this chapter. It might have been written by others at that day. So there is Habakkuk saying, most nations through history will always become like Babylon. They will rise and they will fall, but God will have his way. And chapter three, he's going back to God and he says, can you act now like you did in the past? Can you come in the clouds and the fire and the earthquake? Can you deal with all the pharaohs like you did in Israel? Can you look at Exodus? Can you part the waters? Can you do it again? He's looking at what God did and the story of God from the beginning of time to now and he's saying, do it again. And I don't know whether that, that hits with some of you, that you're looking maybe at the pattern of your life and you're thinking, can you go back and do what you did before? Can I see your glory? Can I see your mercy? Can I see your grace? Can I see it again? Because many of us, sit with personal laments right now, wondering what on earth is going on, wondering how we have got here, and is this really it? And yet the message of Habakkuk is that I will redeem all and I will restore all. And so he asks him, please come and do it again. And at the end, he decides, I'm going to read these last Verses because I think this is a beautiful end to his prayer. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. 
And then he says, his choice is to rejoice in the Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on the high places. And so here Habakkuk is reminding us that God, in the story of God, as will happen throughout humanity, he will have his way and all will be redeemed and restored. But we are living perhaps in the not yet. We are a people of yet. And this is the two, these are the two themes I just want us to draw out and think about. And I would encourage you in your tables this week to thrash this out a little bit more. I want to look at the simple things that the Lord asked him to do. Write the vision down. Do something very, very small. And um, I started to think about that and I started to think about that idea of what might the Lord be asking me? What might the Lord be asking us to do? That's actually quite simple. Um, and I, I, I went back to a really great a book I love, Sarah Bessie's Jesus Feminist. And um, anyone who worries about that title or wonders about it, come speak with me afterwards. But um, she talks about she went to Haiti at one point in her life and it was just after the earthquakes and she got talking to a local pastor and he said that he and his wife had um, adopted a family of orphans and they had no school. And so he wanted to build a school. But the problem was that the place where they wanted to build the school, there was like a mountain of rocks and they had no idea how to um, um, deal with it. And so the word got out that they wanted to build a school and have a school on the island for young people, but there was no way because there was a mountain of rocks. And one morning at their door, a 60-year-old Haitian man came with a pickaxe and a shovel. <laughs> and he said to them, I never got to school in the course of my lifetime, but I want it to be different for those coming behind me. And so every day, he took his pickaxe and a shovel and he started to move rocks, rock by rock rock. It took him months and he did it on his own and they built a school and at the time she was writing the book, 150 kids had gone through that school and there's something truly beautiful and she sums it up so much better than I can. Thanks be to the God who can move a mountain and thanks be to God for men and women who pick up the stones one after the other after the other until the mountains move. And I wonder if you were to think, Emily Freeman does a beautiful podcast called The Next Right Thing. And she talks about how faith, we sometimes overcomplicate it and actually we're called to do the next right thing, the thing that's in front of us. Maybe the rock that's in front of us that we move it. Someone asked us this week, why are we opening our homes, our home to some people? Well, it's because it's a rock that we can move. We can't touch the war. We can't do anything about the mountain of horror that's around us, that has moved us deeply, but we can start to move some rocks. And so 
that is what I want you to think about. If you were thinking about your current circumstances and perhaps you're looking at a mountain, perhaps you're facing a mountain in your life, how can you start to faithfully address it and faithfully move it rock by rock by rock? And the other theme I wanted to draw out was the practice of lament. I would consider that the practice of lament Matt described it as a holy process when we were praying, and I thought that was beautiful. It is a holy process, and it is, in my view, an act of radical faith. Because if I'm in a relationship with someone and I don't feel safe, I will never tell them the laments that I have. I need to feel safe with them. If you think about, we'll not get into it, but attachment figures in our lives teach us how to feel safe and to share the difficult stuff. And you can sometimes, how we've experienced our parents is how we experience the Lord. And yet the Lord, the, the Bible is full of stories of people who bravely and boldly shared their anger, their fear, their grief, their distress. And that is what the Lord is inviting us to. So I would say that we don't need to explain what is happening and why. We just sometimes need to lament. We sometimes need to lament over this the situations in our own lives, and sometimes we need to lament over the bigger picture and the horror of the world. And that is a beautiful, healing, restorative practice. If we lament, we will be transformed by creating a small shrine and where the healing of the Lord can dwell. So the lament, a lament is an appeal to God because we know his character Chapter 3 describes the character of God. That is why Habakkuk is safe to lament. It is proof of our relationship with God that we actually give him our anger and our grief and our rage because he can take it and he seeks it and wants it. And it is, in my view, the pathway to intimacy because when we sit with the Lord and lament, we feel safe and secure and loved and therefore free. So lament is always a prayer for God to act, and it's usually participation in the pain of others. It is solidarity with the suffering. And we lament, and yet we hope. And we'll come to that after we've perhaps taken some time to lament. And so what I, I want us to do now, just for a moment or two, the band are going to come and play, and I want us to practice some lament. I want us to start to think about either your own very personal world or the world around us. Something that maybe sits with you and you think, wow, Lord, where are you? Lord, what are you doing? Do you actually see where I am and what I'm in? So turn to God, bring your complaint and boldly ask for help. I love a bold man. I love a bold woman as well, obviously, but I love a bold man that bravely went back to the Lord again and again and said, are you sure you know what you're doing? So as the band start to play, I'm going to guide us through. Is this okay? Are we good with this? Yeah? Okay, good. Good. Don't suppose you had a choice, really. Um, this is a beautiful meditation written by a a female pastor in the States called Emily Swan. And it's called The Holy is Here, Present with Me. And she's basing it on that beautiful 
beautiful verse in chapter 2. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. So, I want you to sit while you are seated. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to relax. Because the, the Spirit of the Lord is here. And we are community together. I'm just going to talk us through this meditation and we're going to take some time. Breathe deeply in through your nose and out through your mouth. If it's helpful, you can repeat these two sentences to calm your thoughts. As you breathe in, the holy is here. And as you breathe out, present with me. The holy is here, present with me. Close your eyes. Picture yourself sitting in a place, real or imaginary, that gives you joy. Notice your surroundings. What are you sitting on? Do you smell anything? What do you hear? What do you see? What do you feel? What do you taste? And let's meditate on Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. You can start by using the verse as a mantra in rhythm with your breaths. Breathe in. The Lord is in his temple. Breathe out. Let all the earth be silent before him. The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent. After you've focused on that verse, let your mind's eye view the earth as a temple of the Lord. Don't rush. Give yourself time to look at your surroundings. Imagine others around the world also being silent in the presence of our beautiful God. Feel their camaraderie, that they also are following the spirit of love. Linger and observe what happens, if anything. Give the Lord space to speak, if he wants to. Now imagine that God, that Jesus or however you picture God, comes and sits and hovers nearby. Where is the Lord in relation to you? How does it feel? In this space, in this holy space, pray whatever comes to mind. Ask your questions. Make your petitions. Sit in awe of his holiness. Get angry. If you need to get angry, get angry. But make space for God to converse with you.
imagine there's a low table set in front of you filled with candles. Pick up a box of matches and light a candle for every burden that is weighing on your mind. Ask the Lord to turn his face towards these lights. God may have something to say about one or two of the candles or perhaps just sit in silence with the Lord and experience the attention of his beautiful and holy presence. Sit and feel God's love and enjoyment of you. And if you can't feel this, ask the Lord why. And invite the Spirit to continue filling and empowering you as you move ahead in your day and in your week. I want to pray this prayer over us as a community. Spirit of Jesus, come with fire that refines, water that refreshes, wind that topples, and your breath that fills. Kindle a global revival of empathy, justice, and active peacemaking. Birth a witness in this community of love that is bigger than better than we have ever inherited. Liberate us from privilege and oppression. Unshackle the gospel from nationalism, colonialism, supremacy, and every other lens that shrouds the good news. Give us an abundance of grace for others and ourselves. And grant us deep, deep compassion for those who suffer. Free us, Lord, from the influence of money, power, and acclaim. Restore our reputation for caring for the poor, loving our neighbours, and being ambassadors of peace and stewards of this beautiful earth. Unlock the immense resources hoarded in our church and release them for your name's sake. Encourage us so we do not grow cynical, isolated and burnt out. Fan our hopes, our joys and our connections. Allow us rest when we need rest. Enable us to see you in each person we encounter. Show us mercy in our humanity. Let us love more fully than we thought possible. Let us not be quick on the draw, ready to retaliate, escalate or assassinate. Let our collective fervor for justice eclipse institutional concerns. Let us trust and follow the wisdom of those who have been marginalized. Let us persevere in creating safe places of worship to eat bread and drink wine together. Let us stand for love and with love, following the way of your Son as best we are able. Let us not fear an experiential spirituality. Let us listen to the wondrous bodies you have given us. Let us hear your voice and tangibly feel you with us. Let us discern your guidance and let us abide in and with you. Show us what you're doing so we can work together. Move where you will, when you will, 
in whatever way you will. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and restore us and us, your church. Amen. Amen. Lament is very beautiful and very freeing and it's best done in community. So if you have personal lament today that you have been considering and bringing to the Lord, allow us the privilege. Your table leaders are here. We are here to serve you and to pray with you. As we come to the table, I want to read again the last few verses of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor there be fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet, 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 I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. And he makes me tread on my high places. I believe that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be a people of yet. We don't deny our circumstances. We don't deny the circumstances all around us. Yet, yet we hope and we believe that the story of God is about redemption and restoration. I'm a visual person, so I like reminders. So when you come up here today to get your communion, the place where it all begins, there's a little white pebble. Choose one if you, if you want one. And there's pens here to write yet. Because we are a people of yet. And so as you sit this week and perhaps lament over whatsoever's going on in your own life or in the life of the world around us, you look at this and you remember, we are a people of yet. So please stand and the band is going to lead us in some song. Songs? Song? Come and take communion. Come with your tables. Come with your friends. Come on your own. Just come. And if you'd like, if you would find this helpful this week, write yet as a defiant act to the reality of perhaps what you're facing and saying, I believe in something bigger and more beautiful. So let's take our time and let's worship.